everybody. Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy. It is April 11th, 2018, and we got a lot to get to this week. Huh, yeah, we missed last week, had a big week, and uh, last time we spoke it was two weeks ago. Had Owen Stewart on for the MLB preview, and at that time was considering possibly going out to Cleveland seeing the Indians home opener, possibly doing a Cavs game while out there. Two things I've never actually done in Cleveland. Being the big Cleveland fan I am, I've missed two pretty, you know, big big events to do in the Cleveland sports scene. Well, turns out I could get the days off, so I did. I did the drive by myself and just loaded up with a bunch of podcasts, got some nice playlists going, and did that seven and a half hour drive from Belmar, New Jersey to Cleveland, Ohio, and it was so worth it. I had such an awesome time. It was great. I, I mean, my family hosted me. I had a couple cousins out there that let me stay and crash at their place in Lakewood, Ohio. Got to the Cavs game the night of and watched them come back from, they were down 17 in the fourth. LeBron was friggin' awesome. And uh, they came back to beat the Wizards kind of in like last second heroics. It was a great game and a lot of fun. Uh, you know, and, and it was cheap too. Like, that's the thing is you go out to these games, a home game for the Cleveland Cavaliers who have won three straight Eastern Conference finals and, uh, you know, playoffs four straight years, NBA championship thrown in there. This is like a really popular team in the NBA right now. And we got decent seats. For thirty-eight bucks, this is pretty sweet. Like you can't get that anywhere around here in New Jersey, New York. Went in, saw LeBron, played awesome. Saw the Cavs win, great time. Went out, had some drinks. Drinks are cheaper there too, which is you know, hey, that cannot be overlooked. And everything was just so much fun. Then the next day, it's pretty friggin' cold, but still made that work. And uh, the Tribe game was a win. They won 3-2. It was my first ever Indians home opener, and it was colder than most Browns games I had ever been to. Uh, that was that was pretty wild. Like, it was, you know, we've gone to Browns home openers a lot now, but those in September, you know, sometimes you're wearing shorts to the game. You know, it might reach 80 degrees. Uh, I've been to a couple Browns games at Christmas where it's cold, but, you know, this was this was pretty bad. It was really windy. And, like, you know, we're drinking all day, and I had to pee, and the line was insane. It wasn't exactly the greatest experience. However, it was awesome seeing the Tribe get the home opener victory. And even though, you know, these one games at a time really don't matter, it's awesome to really see your team win, especially when you invest to go out there. So, you know, and, and hey, Indians are supposed to be pretty good. Right now they're 7-5, and five, leading the division, and... They haven't hit shit yet. They seriously, they have, they have the worst batting average in major leagues. They have like the worst batting average in balls in play. They have like the least runs scored. This Tonight was their first game with 10 hits, and they were the last team to do that. They, like, you know, this was their first time getting 10 hits in a single game. Everyone else had done it before tonight. And they're winning their division right now because they have awesome pitching. You know, you think about what this team is capable of capable of once they start hitting very dangerous team should be a really fun summer uh i definitely want to get out to cleveland to see another game they come to new york in a couple weeks 
which will be tough because they're, they're here right as I'm moving. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to get away for a game or two while they're up at Yankee Stadium. But that, you know, that should be something I definitely look into. But pretty awesome that I got to go and just on a whim. And on my way there, got to listen to a lot of podcasts, and it, it inspired me to get my like get my ass going with these quarterback evaluations because I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, Chris Sims, Adam Lefko, a lot of these guys who spend a lot of time, and I was like, it's time to do the quarterbacks. And this week, that weekend, and the first couple of days of this week. I sat down, I was like, all right, I'm going to finish up all the film I want to do on these quarterbacks, and tonight I'm going to bring you the top five quarterbacks in this draft, pros and cons, the high ceiling, the low floor, what are you going to get out of these guys, And uh, but that's coming later in the episode. Um, but before that, you know, we also have something to look forward to. It's hockey and basketball playoffs. Now, I don't watch a whole lot of regular season hockey. I am admittedly, I wouldn't say I'm a fair weather fan. I just was never really into it, but I appreciate playoff hockey, the atmosphere, the home ice, the home crowds, everything that goes into a playoff atmosphere. Hockey game is, is special. When I was working at the Rangers and I got to experience some playoff hockey in the garden. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. It's such a fun time. And it's one of my favorite things in sports is just, the playoff atmosphere in hockey. You know, that doesn't exist in the NBA. It doesn't really exist in a whole lot of other, like, you know, scenarios. Just they have so much crowd enthusiasm going and, you know, like the the puck clinking against, you know, the, uh, the post and then going in and the crowd pop is, you know, I said it was one of my favorite, you know, sports moments, sports sounds, and it's totally up there as one of the, like, f- most fun things in sports. So next week, maybe I'll get into a little bit more of what to expect from the hockey teams uh, as, as we get into the playoffs. Tonight was you know night one of the playoffs. NBA is ending tonight, and their playoffs will start, I believe, Friday. And what I'm really looking forward to is, well, you know, to be honest, I'm feeling a little full of myself when it comes to the Cavs. I uh, have recently, you know, and we can go back to, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and then a couple, you know, about 10 days ago when Villanova beat Michigan, which I was happy to see because I hate Michigan. I don't really like Villanova, but I'd rather see them win. And they absolutely cruised throughout the NCAA tournament and were awesome. They're the best team all year. Congrats to the Villanova Wildcats for winning the actual championship. But it got in my head that, you know, Philly's getting a little heady right now, you know? They have Eagles winning their first Super Bowl ever. They have Nova winning their second title in the last three years and becoming a quote-unquote blue blood of the college basketball world. So they're getting to that level. You know, and the Phillies, you know, it's early, it's baseball season, but uh, they've had some, you know, ups and downs. I don't think anyone's really raising the bar with the Phillies, but the Sixers have been on an incredible hot streak. And the Six and the... Philadelphia Flyers are in the playoffs. So, you know, you've got two teams starting the playoffs right now. Now the Flyers are getting their asses kicked tonight. But Philly fans getting really heady. They still believe in them. And the amount of pompous 
attitude coming from this fan base about this basketball team is starting to drive me a little insane. Now, I get it. I totally do. They are so much fun. They've been doing this trust the process thing, which has been a pain in the ass if you're a fan. You're watching them just literally in, intentionally be bad so they can get higher picks. Joel Embiid started his career kind of banged up. Ben Simmons missed his whole first year. Markel Fultz wasn't playing a lot. Uh, they, they've you know tanked for, it seems like, six or seven years now. So I get that they've had a lot of pent-up energy. And now you have a team that's really hot. They've won 16 to end the season, including a huge win over the Cavaliers last Friday. And, and it was without Joel Embiid. And they had an incredible first half, one of their like, you know, the best halves in franchise history. Yet they still only won by two points and came down to free throws at the end of the game. So it's not like they beat the crap out of the Cavs. I mean, they were doing it, and they blew one of the biggest leads you could ever have on a team. Uh, they just held on at the end to win the game. So I get why all of the positivity and the you know trust the process and, and you know everything's going so well. Joel Embiid is like a national treasure. He's like Mr. Social Media. Ben Simmons is likely the rookie of the year. Uh, I think he's being hyped up a little bit too much. You know, I understand how good he is, but I also understand that, like, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot outside of the paint. He's just, like, a great ball-handling forward to me, like a power forward. So outside of that, you know, he's a pretty good passer. He's a good rebounder. He really knows how to get to the hole, but, you know, until he develops a shot, you know, this whole, like, next LeBron talk, this whole, like, MVP next season talk, this whole gonna take us to the finals talk has really got to slow down. You know, you can do whatever you want to do in the regular season. You know, the Atlanta Hawks a couple years ago got 60 wins and had four all-stars, got swept by the Cavs in the finals in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, and then year before, a year after that, you know, it was supposed to be Toronto's turn. It didn't really work out for them. Last year, Boston, they're coming up. You know, supposed to be pretty mighty. You know, they have this whole Brad Stevens effect. Toronto was still hanging around. And Cleveland blew the doors off of everybody. Now, I know the Cavs are a different team now, but they still have LeBron. You know, they've done some of these series without Kevin Love. They've done some of these series without Kyrie Irving. And they have a deeper rotation now, fresher. They still have all the same shooters. They're going to play better defense because they just turn on the switch. I know it's frustrating to kind of say, oh, they're just going to play better. But it's a much better argument to say, oh, the Cavs are going to keep playing better than, oh, the Sixers are going to run away with the East because they're playing hot right now. Like, it's a different animal in the playoffs. And LeBron James just, like, owns the world when he wants to. So, sorry, Eastern Conference. Uh, I Until I see teams really play LeBron differently and force the Cavs. And, and look, it can happen. It can happen. But I'm not going to sit here and say, ooh, what's going to ha like, happen? Like, I don't know. Until someone proves otherwise, this is LeBron's conference. Now, what can happen, and I think this is the most likely one, is Philadelphia 
they got to the three seed, all right? So they're the three, and the Cavs are the four. Now, I don't think this changes a whole lot in terms of, you know, the Cavs possibly winning the East. I I don't think you want to play both Toronto and Philly, which would stink. I'd rather play Boston uh, and, and, and either the winner of Philly-Toronto. Like, that would be much better, right? If Philly played Toronto, Cavs got to play Boston, who's without Kyrie Irving, without Gordon Hayward, and, like, let's admit it, they've got Boston's number. It doesn't look like they're going to play Boston now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, they got to get past Indiana, then they got to get past Toronto, then they got to probably beat Philly in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, I think they can and will do this, and I think they're going to win the Eastern Conference again. However, if you want to retain LeBron, you need the competition for him to kind of go away, right? And what I mean is, in the Eastern Conference, it seems like the only team they are competing with for LeBron James this summer is Philadelphia. Philly's got the money. They've got young talent. Uh, he, it's apparent that he's expressed interest in their high school, uh, in their high school, like a private school scene. So it's obviously on his mind. Uh, he did come out recently and say that the, his family is most important and he's going to do what they want. So unfortunately, LeBron's future might be in Bronny Jr.'s hands, but we'll see. Maybe they like their life in Cleveland. I think this really, that sentence that he said really helps Los Angeles because I, if I was a you know, 13, 14 year old, I, I would like to go play in Los Angeles in high school. So uh, that might be the case. But the one thing about Philly is that if they had a nice run here, right? If they went up and, and made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and, got, and lost to the Cavs, LeBron can still look at them and say, listen, this is a team that I can take to the next level. You know? Now, if it were the other way around, if the Cavs got the three and they got to beat someone in the first round, whoever that was, then they'd play Boston while Toronto is playing Philly and maybe Philly gets upset by Indiana or maybe they don't get past Toronto, I think that would have been much better for the Cavaliers in the future, you know, in the retaining LeBron James sweepstakes. I think that would have been very helpful, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, you know. Actually, no, it's not going to. It's final. The, the Sixers are going to be the three seed. So, unfortunately, this gives the Sixers a hit, like – a good little boost this summer. Uh, I wouldn't pick them to be LeBron's next team because I just think, yes, him and Ben Simmons would be great, but I don't know. I just, um, you know, who knows? Maybe he does pick them, but uh, I would really hate that. I, if he's going to leave, I would want him to go to the West and not control the East with a new squad, especially one that's like their fan base is getting really friggin' annoying. Like that's all. I, that's all I have to say about it. Is like I don't know many Philadelphia fans, but like they're loving letting you hear it, right? And like that's fine. Usually, usually that's like their thing. But usually they're losing. Usually they're not like this hot of a team. They're not like the favorites in their sports. Instead, they're raising two banners this year, and they're possibly getting LeBron James. Not to mention the Flyers in the playoffs, and the Sixers are are like on the rise as like the team. This is, you know, not the team, but, like, the team, like, the youth movement, and it's really working out for them. So that's all I have to say in terms of Philadelphia. But 
in regards to the actual playoffs this year and not who's going to get LeBron, I, I, the Sixers are the one team I don't want to play in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and it looks like if the Cavs want to play them, it'll be the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think they have enough to win a seven-game series against LeBron and, and Kevin Love and, and the veteran supporting group that the Cavs now have. But I, uh, I do think that they are a tough test because they can, they can shoot the long ball. They run the court really well. They can score points really quickly. And it's not like they're all reliant on Embiid or Simmons because they've done it without either of those guys scoring you know, a whole lot. So it'll be really interesting to see them. Uh, I think they'll get by Boston. Uh, I think the Cavs will have a really tough series with Toronto in the second round. But I think the Cavs eventually get by them because Toronto's not bringing anything new. You know, the Cavs know how to beat this team, and they haven't changed a thing. You know, uh, the Cavs are going to get to avoid Washington, which I think would have been another tough matchup. So I think they'll play either Milwaukee or Miami. Um, I think they're playing my. Uh, oh no, no, no! They're going to play Indianapolis. So they'll play the Indiana Pacers. They're going to be a tough team in the first round, but I think the Cavs get by them in five or six. I think they get by Toronto in five or six. And I think when it comes to the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, I think they get by them in five. And if you're counting, that's me having them lose the most games in the Eastern Conference playoffs in a few years while I take this big sip of water. Think about that. Because... Last year, Cavs had two sweeps and then one loss. One loss to uh, Boston. Um, year before that, two losses. Year before that, two losses. All in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And every year, everyone's saying they're, they're trying really hard to find a reason why the Cavaliers aren't going to do it. What's going to be their tumbling point? Everyone wants to count LeBron out so quickly, like the first sign that they could find something, and yet he keeps on disproving people. And then a lot of people's defense would be, oh, well, this year's different. He's regressing. Well, no, he's actually having one of his best years of his career. Like, that whole he's regressing or he's tired argument doesn't work. Nobody takes care of their body like LeBron James. He invests over a million dollars a season into his body to make sure that he's at the peak physical condition. You know, he uses like the like the hyperbolic changer, the uh, chamber, the uh, like cry cryotherapy. I don't even know what it is, but like he basically freezes his body so like he tries not to age. Uh, he'll need some hair plugs. That's the one thing he hasn't been able to master is the follicle region, but. Regardless, he's, I mean, until he proves otherwise, nah, he's not losing in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Now, in the West, it's crazy out there right now. Uh, you know, the, the Houston's going through an injury with uh, Luke Mbamute, who is a defensive, you know, big-time player for them. But other than that, they should get by the first couple rounds. It would be coming down to them and Golden State. Now, if Curry's not healthy, that could really hurt them. But if he's healthy, you know, that's still the Warriors, and they're still kind of in control of everything. I think when that comes down to it, the Warriors get out of the West, and we'll see Warriors-Cavs 4. 
I know that's like boring. I know it's less likely to happen this year than any of the last three years, but until someone proves otherwise, I just got to stick with my gut and say, these two teams, you know, I know there's been a lot of change in Cleveland, and I know there's been a lot of change in the West, so you think, okay, it's not going to happen again, but, you know, it just, these teams are playoff tested, and they've got the guys. They've got the guys who can get it done in their respective conferences. So that's what I see out of the NBA playoffs. Should be fun. Should be a fun watch coming up in the next few weeks. With hockey, we'll definitely dive into that more next week because I don't know the teams as much, but I do really appreciate watching you know, playoff hockey. That's always a lot of fun. Okay, so those little playoff previews. Now, I have a couple things I want to get to. All right, so... We'll do real quick. Now, we'll save the one-minute movie reviews to the end. We'll drive, we'll dive right into my top five draft quarterbacks, all right? Now, I have gone through these rankings a couple times, and a lot of factors went into this, but the three bottom-line things that I looked at when placing these quarterbacks in order were, one, how good is he of a football player? How good can he become with the right coaching, the right scenario, the right everything in the NFL? And then what's the least, like, what's the bottom? How bad can it get? And the likelihood of those two scenarios happening, right? So number five, that brings me to Lamar Jackson. Now, I know Lamar, Lamar Jackson's probably got the highest ceiling, but I don't think he's going to reach that because, you know, it just called a gut thing, but you just look at some of his tape and he misses a lot of easier throws. That consistency and that uh, completion percentage, it, it's, you know, that, that won't improve a whole lot at the next level. You know, I, I compared him to like a Ryan Tannehill, but with like super amazing athleticism, right? I know they're, I know by, as a runner, they're nowhere near the same, but as a passer, that's what he kind of reminds me as. Now, you can fit an offense around Lamar Jackson, and you can make him effective, but I think A, he's still got a lot of work to do, and he, fortunately for him, he's probably going to go to a team where he doesn't have to play right away, you know? He's probably going to go to a team, you know, unless he's going to the Jets, unless going to, uh, you know, the Jets kind of seem like the one team. The Jets and the Bills where they might push a, you know, a rookie quarterback. The other teams, you know, the Browns, the Giants, the Broncos, uh, the Cardinals, the Dolphins, a lot of these other teams looking for quarterbacks, they may just be able, they're in the situation where they can sit guys which I think is going to be a huge thing for Lamar Jackson. So if Lamar Jackson goes to one of these teams where he can sit, that's great. Now, I said his floor is Tannehill 2.0. Now, his ceiling is Michael Vick on steroids. You know, he's got the goods. He's got everything you want in building a video game quarterback. And he's super fun to watch. By all accounts, he's a good kid. Uh, 
you know, he, it's easy to see why he may be the best of the group, and he might be the most athletic quarterback ever coming out of college. So all the traits are there that you want. He's humble. He's got good arm strength, and he's obviously the biggest game changer of all the quarterbacks, you know, because you need to model your defense or mold your defense around facing this guy. You know, if you're facing Baker Mayfield, you're facing Josh Rosen, these are guys that are very good quarterbacks, but you don't really change, you don't have to change your defense drastically when playing them. You just know that they're going to put the ball where it matters, and you're going to have to keep your eye out for that. With Lamar Jackson, he brings that second element of running that none of these guys really have. You know, it, it makes them have like this nightmarish game plan that would just bring a whole new element to your offense. So his ceiling is almost limitless, but he would need to become accurate. You know, it, you saw him at his pro day, and I hate to, I hate to take too much stock in someone's pro day, but the one thing I've always noticed is you can be like a pro day can take you. You know, the one thing about a pro day is that I like to look at it as it just reassures you of what you already know about a quarterback. You know, if you have the super arm strength, it's cool to see it in person. But it's not telling you anything you don't know. Now, it can highlight your flaws. You know, you see this guy running NFL patterns and constantly missing these guys. It's not going to work at the NFL level. Like, that's something that's going to be tough to fix. So if you can live with that and you know, mold your game around this guy's flaws, you know, to force the flaws out of there, power to you. You must be a very good offensive mind. But, you know, at his pro day, you got to see a lot of NFL throws that he couldn't make. So that's why I have him as number five. Uh, he obviously needs to sit. Another thing that came out that I thought was, was, uh, was really interesting was that his mom is his agent and everybody's having a really tough time getting in touch with him or her. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, that, that that's a stupid thing to put as a con or a negative. But you've seen in things past where anytime a player has like a family member as an agent or something where the family is tied too closely to their career, it can really get in the way and be become a problem. You know, this is there, there's a reason why these super agents work and why their clients get paid the big bucks and have these tremendous careers. And it's because they are able to separate family and workplace. And when you involve family in the like decision-making of your career, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm, you know, and I, I know like, you know, oh, like, a, you know, I... I all the praise to my mom, all the praise to my dad. I love my dad. You know, they've done everything for me. Like, that's all great, and it's so, like, important to have that, and I'm glad that he has that type of relationship with his mom, but, you know, this is something that you really want to take seriously, and maybe you don't just throw your mom a bone here. Maybe it's about, you know, finding a real agent to, like, actually highlight you and get you picked higher. And I think he's going to be the fifth quarterback picked. I don't think he's necessarily not going to have a good NFL career. I just think it will really depend on who he goes and sits behind. You know, if he goes to a playoff team and sits behind one of these older veteran quarterbacks, that would be very good for him. You know, he could go to a Pittsburgh 
you know, Jacksonville, New England. You know, there's a lot of teams that could use a young quarterback. You know, the, everyone's been saying uh, the Chargers have been linked to him a lot. Uh, Chargers aren't exactly a playoff team, but they were really good at the end of last year, and they might be the best team in that division. Phil Rivers is getting a little older. Yeah, I could totally see that working out, you know, as like a, hey, he's going to have to sit for a little bit. But that's why I have Lamar Jackson as my number five quarterback. I think he has a chance to be great, but, you know, it's just a lot of work to be done, and there are a lot of flaws in this game that are going to be hard to, to, to look past. My number four quarterback is Josh Allen out of Wyoming. And the reason he's number four is because that floor could be Jamarcus Russell. Now, the ceiling could be an athletic Joe Flacco, or Joe Flacco 3.0, as I like to put it, or like a less athletic Cam Newton, like a less running version of Cam Newton. There are some a lot of really good things to like about Josh Allen, right? You know, he's he's got the right arm of God. You know, when you see him throw, yes, he can put it 80 yards down the field. It's impressive. But how much does that really come into play in an NFL game plan? You know, I, I know he can throw the ball horizontally across the field. He can make out routes from the opposing hash look simple. And those are things that, trust me, as a Browns fan last year, I watched. I'm like, that's impossible. You know, like you're watching guys like Cody Kessler you know, like skip the ball across the middle of the field. You know, Kevin Hogan fly things over receivers' heads. You know, Josh Allen has the arm strength to really put the ball anywhere. And and those are some throws that a lot of pro quarterbacks can't even make. You know, if you're building a video game quarterback, he's the model. That's 6'5", 235 pounds. He's a good kid. And as a Cleveland fan, I got it like, you know, every, every interview you listen to, you got to take that into account because we've been spurned by bad attitudes in the past. Not mentioning any names, but it's happened. So you want someone who wants to be here. And he's made it clear that he wants the Browns to take him. He wants to be the guy to turn the franchise around. And I know that shouldn't be like the number one thing on your list when you're picking quarterbacks, but it's something to consider because this is a big challenge. And you need the guy to be up for the challenge. Now, he says he's up for it, but does that mean he actually is? Hopefully, Dorsey and co. are actually looking into that right now and deciding if he's up to the challenge. Uh, he's played in the cold weather before, which, like, I know that has to come into it a little bit because, you know, it's not like he's playing down in Florida or Southern California or Oklahoma where it's really warm all the time. You know, it's and, and it's not always really warm in Oklahoma. I actually I hate that myth. They they have, they have some cold games too. But regardless, Wyoming, it's cold, high altitude. You know, playing in that environment, it's a good setup. It's it's a slight positive for him. I, I you know I'm not gonna look look that over. And some of the scouts really love him. Like you know, it's I know a lot of people are against him because of his stats. But there are a lot of scouts out there that are respected in the industry, and they're all in on them. Now, I don't agree with these guys, but they obviously see something here. Now, it's going to come down to how much you can get out of him. 
you know, it, can you fix these negatives? Because the negatives, negatives are big. His tape is bad. Like, his good is great, but his bad is awful. There are some just routine throws that he's missing his receivers by like 10 yards. You know, he needs to sit. He can't play right away. Some of these guys you can put on the field. With him, no way. You can't put him on the field right away. There's so much he has to learn. Uh, there was a highlight of him missing his hot route. That was very Deshaun Kaiser-like. That Browns fans don't want any part of that again because, you know, you just traded Deshaun Kaiser. Obviously for reasons. And if you traded him for those bad reasons, then why are you taking Josh Allen? Because he's got the same negatives that Deshaun Kaiser has. So you'd like to think that the Browns wouldn't say, hmm, you know what, we don't like Kaiser for these reasons, but we those reasons aren't going to keep us from drafting Josh Allen first overall over some really polished quarterbacks. So that's a really interesting take that I think they have to you know, consider. His college stats are bad. You know, it's like there's no way, there's no other way around that. He never really had a great tape. You know, all these quarterbacks have at least one game where you can say, watch that whole game, look how great he looked. Never really looked great in any single game. And he's had a highlight reel, but everybody has a highlight reel. You can make anybody look good by just putting together a highlight reel. So it's important to find game tape where you watch the whole game and say he was awesome. And that really doesn't exist because every game you find some throws that you say, that's really got to be fixed. He's missed a lot of guys. And uh, and I'm sorry, when it comes down to the bottom line, I look at game tape and I say, how well is this guy at playing the quarterback position? You know, And with my top three guys, two of them, actually the top two guys, when it comes down to it, they are just great at the quarterback position. And Josh Allen isn't. He's not great at the quarterback position. He has tools you like, but you're taking a big risk with him. A risk that a lot of people would say is very unnecessary. And I would agree with them because there are polished quarterbacks and he's not one of them. Now, I think if he does get drafted by the Browns, well, they're not going to force him to play. He is going to be their third string quarterback. Lamar Jackson will be the or Oh, oh gosh. Tyrod Taylor will be the starter. Drew Stanton will be the mentor for Josh Allen and the immediate backup. So there won't be any pressure to get Josh Allen onto the field. Now, he will eventually need to learn. And I don't know if his problems will be fixed by sitting. You know, it's unfortunate, but I think he needs to work out his problems which I think is a really tough thing to do if he's going to a place like Buffalo or Cleveland. You know, that's just a recipe for disaster where you say, this guy's not ready to play, but to get through his problems, he needs to play. That's really tough. How much, how much patience are you going to have for a guy like that? So I have him as four. He could be five, but again, he has a ceiling like no other. He could be a pro bowler because of what of the tools that he has, but he doesn't have the accuracy which 
we've learned this year is so important, putting the ball where it needs to be. All right, my number three quarterback is Sam Darnold out of USC. Now, for Sam's comparison, I liked Brady Quinn and Brett Favre. Now, those are the extreme versions, right? Like, he's obviously not going to be Brett Favre, but I think that's like the very tippy top of what he can be. And Brady Quinn, hopefully he'll be better than Brady Quinn. Uh, I was always a big fan of Brady Quinn. He had all the tools. He had everything he wanted. He had the it factor. It just never happened with him. You know, he, he was in a bad coaching situation. He was fighting for time with a quarterback that, like, wasn't ready to mentor him and Derek Anderson. And it was just a really bad situation for everyone. So... That's why I have, you know, like Sam Darnold. I think his coaching is going to matter. He needs to go to a team that can fix his little flaws, you know. um, Turnovers, I think, is a fixable thing at the next level. Uh, A lot of guys like to look at that and say that's a huge thing. Like, yeah, he had a lot of turnovers. But James Winston and Deshaun Watson both had a lot of turnovers at college. And I think both of them have turned out to be pretty good picks for their franchises. Now, it is a lot of work to fix that, but he's aware of it. He knows his ball security needs to be fixed. But number one, his line at USC was really bad, and he was constantly under pressure. Not to say if he's going to go to whoever team that he's going to have a great line, but you know that if you protect him better, he is already working on his ball security. Uh, and that's something that coaching can really help you with. The interceptions, if you take out the first two games of the season, he really f- like fixed it over the end of the year. He had the same interception rate as Rosen uh, at like the last 10 games or whatever number it was. So I like to think that the turnovers are a fixable stat because you saw it <coughs> correcting itself last year. Um The other thing that I don't love about Darnold is that he doesn't have, he's not the best at any certain trait in this draft, right? You know, he's not the most athletic. He doesn't have the best body. uh, He doesn't have the most arm strength. He doesn't have the best accuracy. He doesn't have the best, like, college career. So you look at everything and you say, well, where is his, his, like, superb, like, trait? Where is it? And... It's tough to just say it factor, but he does have that where he can show up and, and just beat a team. You know, he went up, up to Washington, who was one of the best teams in the country, and put up a great performance. Everyone saw the Rose Bowl. You know, his two-minute drill against Texas. He's had some great moments where you just say, you know what? If you can bottle that up and put that into a quarterback, that's someone you want as your future. Not to mention... He's got that look. He's got, like, he can throw on the run. You like to see him moving. He makes a lot of big plays on his feet. Uh, He needs to work on his footwork, but him just being able to show that he can throw on the run and throw off of weird bases makes you, like, really happy that you can say, hey, listen, if he can do this on an uneven ground, you you can definitely fix his game because footwork is another thing that at the NFL... They can fix that. Um, and, and just that, that whole 
yeah, he he flashed like the all pro talented arm. It's not always there, but when you see it, you're saying, "Wow, man, this this guy has it." So, would it help if he sat? Sure, absolutely. But I think he could also play pretty quickly at the next level. Uh, the other things, you know, I, like again, the negatives that you want to bring out. The pro day love was a little much. Uh, I thought NFL Network decided on his second throw of the pro day that he was the number one pick, and I thought that's a little extreme. It's way too uh, uh, premature, and I felt like they just decided on how good he was after one throw, two throws, three throws of the pro day instead of like literally watching the tape because there's a lot more that he has to work on. Uh, so I thought that was a little egregious, uh, and you know I, I I hate to group him in with players that he's never played with before, but you have to consider it USC quarterbacks. You know Matt Liner, Mark Sanchez, Cody Kessler, John David Booty, uh, and basically every quarterback since Carson Palmer. You know the, to come out of USC, you know Matt Barkley, all these guys didn't work out in the NFL. It just didn't work. So, is Sam Darnold different than them? Sure, absolutely. They're all different, you know. Uh, but it's just something that's in the back of your head. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, if some people are going to, you know, criticize some people, oh, the criticisms this time of year can get a little ridiculous, especially with these next two guys. So, I'll try to keep it to say, listen, the USC quarterback thing—it'll always be in someone's mind. But that shouldn't be the reason for or against you drafting somebody. My number two quarterback is Baker Mayfield. Everyone knows I love Baker. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I was at the Heisman dinner. I saw him. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. He's not the fastest. He doesn't have the biggest arm. But he has like leadership qualities you wouldn't believe. He puts the ball exactly where it needs to be every single time and if he learns at the pro level to be able to throw under pressure and continue to put the ball where it needs to be he will be a successful quarterback uh, I think his floor is Colt McCoy uh, he is a very similar quarterback to Colt McCoy where he's an intermediate game passer you know where it's much you know his mid mid game I guess you want to call it is where he excels. Uh, he won't be chucking the ball downfield a whole lot. He can, but I think that's his floor. And obviously, everyone likes to make the Drew Brees comparison. Uh, I know it's I know it's a bit much. I know that's obviously it's Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's set plenty of NFL records, but you know that's the game. That's the game that Baker Mayfield's going to have to model off of. He's going to if he wants to be successful at the NFL level, he's going to have to learn a lot from Drew Brees of being able to stay in the pocket, anticipate throws, and trust his offensive line because we heard from Joe Thomas, those shorter quarterbacks take deeper drops, which make it harder for the offensive line. Throwing on their tippy toes, I, I, I get all the jokes with Drew Brees, but he's going to have to model his game off of Drew Brees. I think he can. It might be helpful for Baker to sit a little bit, but I think he'll go to a team where they're ready to play him right away. Uh, it sounds like the Jets are very interested in him at number three. I think that 
is very interesting, and I honestly wouldn't blame the Jets at all for making the move for him. He's a winner. He's a leader. He's got the franchise face. His teammates love him. He There was a great story that Jim Ross pointed out about him. Uh, or No, no, no. That it was D.D. Westbrook said it where D.D. was late to a practice and Baker put it upon himself to pick him up and drop him off every day before and after practice to make sure that he was there on time because D.D. was going to be such an important player. And Baker went way out of his way to get D.D. Westbrook to practice on time and did it every day. And that's something that you get from a guy who gives a shit, who really cares, who knows his what to do. First one in, last one out mentality. That's Baker Mayfield. Everyone likes to compare him to Johnny Manziel. And I think it's so lazy to do that. I think he's more the opposite of Johnny Manziel than like Johnny Manziel. Because you look at a couple important factors. Number one, Johnny Manziel admitted that he was not the guy to push himself to learn the X's and O's. We learned from his teammates that he was never the first one in the building. He was never the last one out. He was constantly blaming other people for his faults. Uh, he was irresponsible. Everything that Johnny Manziel was, Baker Mayfield is not. Okay, Baker Mayfield takes the blame. Baker Mayfield motivates his teammates. He studies the playbook. You know, he is the first one into practice. He is a true leader. Whereas Johnny was more of a exciting college, watch me, watch me. They couldn't be more different. And if anyone who disagrees with me, I would love to have a conversation about this because there is so much evidence against the two being linked than there is comparing the two on the same level. And I think it's just irresponsible to keep on putting them in the same. Now, I understand that John, uh, that you know Baker has had some problems. You know, he ran from the cops. Uh, he uh, has like this, you know, attitude with the whole Kansas thing with the crotch strap, you know, uh, crotch, whatever you want to do. Like, you know, he motion. So I understand that he's got issues that people are gonna like, you know, throw up a red flag over, but it's not on the level level of Johnny Manziel. I think all of Baker's problems you can live with. You know, Johnny Manziel's problems you couldn't live with. That's why he's out of the NFL right now. Uh, the on-field concerns with Baker are definitely his height and his size and his whole backyard style of quarterback. Now, you know, if someone runs as much as he does, it would help if they're more athletic or if they're bigger, which he's not. So that'll come into play. Uh, he won't be able to run away from defenses like he did. So he'll have to learn to be able to play in the pocket. But if he can continue his consistent accuracy and putting the ball where it needs to be. I know the windows at Oklahoma aren't going to be there in the NFL, but he was still putting the ball and threading needles at the pro at the college level. You know, people saying that he only relied on the Oklahoma offense are wrong. He always put the ball where it needed to be. You know, it, every ball was thrown on the numbers. So just look at where the ball ends up every time he throws. He, like it's exactly what the running backs and the receivers and the tight ends need it to be. And I think that's the bottom line is if Baker Mayfield can continue to do that in the NFL, he'll be a very successful quarterback. So that leads me to my number one. That's Josh Rosen out of UCLA.
I've gone back a lot on who the number one quarterback was. You know, I started the process thinking it was Baker Mayfield. Then I, I fell in love with Sam Darnold for a week. Uh, at one point, I said Lamar Jackson just because of the abilities that he has. Who knows? Maybe in two weeks, I'll believe that Josh Allen's the number one quarterback. I doubt it, but maybe I'll believe that. But for now, I'm sticking with Josh Rosen. Because the bottom line is, he does everything you want him to do. Every time he steps onto the field, I have no criticism of his game. There's there, like he, Just like Baker... He puts the ball where it needs to be every time. Okay, he makes every throw. He can have a. T he's a touchdown threat on every play, which not everybody always is. And what I mean by that is, he can just burn you on any certain route and find the open guy. So he's always a threat to get that touchdown. He puts the ball where it needs to be, and he makes everything look good. Like he has a great throwing motion. It's just a pretty ball and. and you know, at the very worst, I think his floor is Andy Dalton. That's that's how good he is, is that you're going to get a quarterback that constantly just comes in and gives you a good performance. And I think that's Andy Dalton. And at his best, I think he's MVP Matt Ryan. Like, this guy has got all the goods. He throws a great ball. He is smart. He looks off defenders. He knows where the play is to. He knows how to get the ball to the guy. He knows how to throw it away from the defenders. You know, there's a video of him learning from Aaron Rodgers. There's plenty of quotes about him comparing his game to Tom Brady and what he learned from him. And those are the two guys to learn from. And just the way that him and Aaron Rodgers were going back and forth, there's so much of his game that I like to Aaron Rodgers. You know, just putting the ball where it needs to be. He doesn't have the arm that Aaron Rodgers has, and he doesn't really have the mobility that Rodgers has either. He's just the same durability issues, though. That's that's one of his concerns, is the durability. Now, that should be a concern for every quarterback because you know you get hit in the head one time, all of a sudden you're a concussion protocol guy. And once you have one concussion, you are now labeled as that type of guy. He does have quarterback uh, concussion concerns, uh, the limited mobility, I wouldn't really say, is a concern. It's just not going to be a positive. Now, the final thing that everyone wants to jump on him for is his attitude and his leadership. And that's another thing that has recently been debunked. His teammates have come to his back and said, no, he's a great leader. You know, His attitude is phenomenal. The only reason that it's being questioned so much is because usually college quarterbacks are told to shut up and play QB, but instead he's got other interests outside of football, and that's totally fine. You know, as long as he sticks to playing football, that's what's what's the problem here? You know, I actually had a conversation with someone the other day about Josh Rosen because they said, oh, well, you know, he doesn't love football. You know, he doesn't need football. And I said, those are two so different things. You know, these guys that need football are only playing because they need it. You know, now some of them do love football and they're playing it because of that, but let's say a guy comes from an area where he's not educated. He doesn't have any professional skills, but he is 6'6", 280, and he runs a 4'8", and he's stronger than anyone from his hometown. 
you're going to put him on the football field and say, guess what? You can make money this way. And that's maybe his only way of making money. So he needs this. How much do you want a guy that is only playing football because that's what he needs? Rather than a guy, Josh Rosen, it's obvious, he doesn't need football. He gave up a promising tennis career. He's obviously really well-educated. His parents are smart doctors. He could have gone on to do a lot of things. But instead, he decided to stick it out with football. Now, by sticking it out with football, college football is a 24-7 job. You know, I played D3, and I quit playing football because I thought the hours were ridiculous. The moment the season ended, we were back in the weight room. We were doing off-season practices, and I was like, really? Like, we're D3, you know? Like, what's the big deal here? Like, why are we sticking to this so much in the off-season? Well, that was D3. What do you think UCLA does, you know? He's a leader, and the fact that he's questioned so often is, again, like Baker. It, I think it's lazy. I think it's lazy reporting. He's just a smart kid, and he's too smart for some of these reporters. The other thing with Rosen I love is if you took all five of these quarterbacks and you said, Jake, only one of them is good. And you take out injury concerns because obviously injuries can happen to anyone. Anyone can hit, get hit low, their knee gets blown out, and they're never the same. But if you said, Jake... Injuries aside, only one of these five quarterbacks is going to be a good pro. My pick every time is Josh Rosen because you see it with him already. He's going to step onto the field. He knows how to play the quarterback position, and that's the most important part. He is the best at playing quarterback. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson have a lot of work to do at playing quarterback. Sam Darnold still has work to do playing quarterback. And Baker Mayfield, he's great at college quarterback, but we don't know if he's going to be great at NFL quarterback. You can already see it with Josh Rosen. He is the best at playing the quarterback position. He's got all of that going for him. Not to mention, he has the size, he has the arm strength, and he has the wits and intangibles about him. There really are no negatives to his football game. The negatives come off the field, and those, to be honest, are getting debunked left and right. So that's why I have him as number one. Now, where are these guys going in the draft? It's crazy right now. Josh Allen and Sam Darnold are getting the love at one, and right now everyone's saying that this Allen smoke at one isn't just smoke, it's fire. That, it's, that there's so much talk around him, one, that it has to be true. You know, we, we were saying the same thing about Darnold a couple weeks ago, though, after the pro day. Basically, sign him up. You know, Troy Aikman said, Giants are on the clock. You know, after the Browns were decided on Darnold. Jimmy Haslam sitting with his family. And then, when John Dorsey was hired, we knew how much he liked Baker Mayfield. You know, he was hired in November. He had already seen Mayfield play three times. He hired uh, Scott uh, McLaughlin uh, from the Redskins, who went on record to say if he could pick one quarterback, it would be Baker Mayfield. So who are we to believe right now? Because he's being linked to so many different guys that it's just silly. Now, we are hearing that Baker Mayfield and the Jets are a real possibility. These quarterbacks are on their last visits of these guys. Lamar Jackson Chargers seems to be getting some steam. Same with the Cardinals. The Broncos are going to be very interesting because they... Signed Case Keenum, right? They still have Paxton Lynch. They got rid of Trevor Simeon. 
I don't really understand where they're going with this. Are they going to take a quarterback at five? Who knows? They're really a wild card. The Giants are another one. It is said that they really like Sam Darnold, but if he's gone, they're going to take either Chubb or Barkley. Now, I think it would be very smart. I've said this a hundred times already, so I'm not going to dive into it. I don't want to overdo it, but I think it would be very smart for the Giants to take a quarterback. You never know when you're going to be in this situation again. I think if they took Darnold or Rosen, those would be two great players to learn under Eli Manning and set you up for the next 15 years of quarterback play. I think Rosen would be the best fit on a lot of teams. I think Darnold would do well learning under a seasoned veteran like an Eli or a Phil Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger or whoever you may have or Tyrod Taylor. But I think uh, you know that's still to be determined. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a pre-draft pre podcast where I'm going to have a lot of podcasters, bloggers, writers in not just Cleveland, but other fan bases as well. We're going to come on. We're going to talk some scoops. We're going to do a lot of quarterback talk, but a lot of just first-round draft talk, gearing up for the draft. That will be a lot of fun. Not going to drop names just yet, but I will be putting that out there over the next two weeks because the draft is two weeks from tomorrow. Two weeks from tomorrow. Wow, April 26th is coming pretty quick. Should be a lot of fun. Now, all right, did my top five QBs. I don't think that's going to change. Before I let you go, I'm going to do a real quick one-minute movie review, but I'm giving you a triple. We got three movies I watched this week. Very excited about. I did a lot of movie reviews in the past. I've never done three in one week. Okay, so we'll start off with, number one, A Quiet Place. John Krasinski's directorial debut. He and his wife, Emily Blunt, starred in it. It is a scary thriller, horror thriller, however you want to put it. Stephen King even liked it. Um, I loved the theme. I thought it was a really cool story. I love the way they developed the characters. I love the way they developed the story. There was a lot of unknown. I think unknown is scary. And I think silence is scary too. Something I learned watching this movie, noise is comforting, right? In scary movies, silence gets you more scared. If you hear things, that kind of comforts you. It puts you at a grounded level. And in this movie, the absence of sound is really the terrifying part. Um, one criticism I had, like every scary movie, until you see the, the, there, the bad guy, the horror... The whatever it is, the the main antagonist is always scarier until you see them. When you know what they look like, they are less scary. Um, to just be sounds in the woods, that is the scariest. But then when you see, you know, you see this thing in the opening scene, what they look like. Now, that took a little bit of the edge away when I was watching this. I won't, I, I won't say it didn't get me though. I mean, I have a reputation to jump when watching these movies, and I must have jumped about six or seven times watching this one. I really loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I would see it again. However, I think it could have been scarier. That's that's the bottom line with me. I give it an A+, plus, 10 out of 10. Number two. It's a pretty good one. Netflix original, 
the guys from uh, Workaholics, uh, Adam Devine, Anders Holm, Blake, An I think it's Blake Anderson was the third one, star in a movie called Game On Man, which I thought was going to be awful and turned out to be kind of funny. Uh, they kind of played the same characters that they are in everything they do, which is fine because it works for them, but I went in thinking it was going to suck, and it turned out to be pretty funny. They had a good amount of like B-list celebrities on there that played themselves. They had Joel McHale, they had Shaggy, uh, oh man, it's slipping my mind right now, but they had a couple other ones, and it, it was just, it was like really funny, and they had, uh, it, it was the typical like, you know, heist, hostage type movie you know, with a, you know, foreign, uh, terrorist, you know, wanting $500 million and a helicopter to get out of there. And, you know, the movie ends like they always do where the good guys win and they get their moment and everything. And they're actually leading on to a sequel, but I thought it was really good. I thought it was a lot of fun. And since it's free on Netflix, why not check it out? Uh, game on man, 10 out of 10. All right. And my final one last night, the Andre the Giants HBO uh, special came out, and when I heard that it was a Bill Simmons thing, I wanted to not like it, uh, because I just generally don't really like ben, Bill Simmons all that much, and uh, find him annoying, but I feel like this is his, like, the right place for him to be, is HBO. Uh, he was misplaced at ESPN because they have so many rules, and he was supposed to be a commentator and not have his biases. And frankly, that's just not who he is. He's a biased person and he should be allowed to do that because that's what makes him like entertaining is his whole like Boston thing. Uh, this was great though. I learned a whole lot about early wrestling ages. Uh, I didn't realize everything that went like everything in the Andre the Giants like background and he is such like a, interesting person and like the word gentle giant really does describe him perfectly i uh i really enjoyed it and i hope that the ringer films do a lot more of biopics like this i really suggest this if i have to suggest anything that i saw this past week this would be the one that i would suggest even to non-wrestling fans you know I'm, i told my mom about this one i was like hey listen i know you're not into wrestling but if you really want to appreciate you know, just like a kid from a little town in France that made it big and, and died young because of something that happened to him, like his body. This is a really, you know, it's a interesting tale. And his whole relationship with the other wrestlers, especially Hulk Hogan, with Vince McMahon, that like, you know, their relationship kind of soured. And the fact that he constantly put others before him, it's a really inspiring tale. And I like shed a tear kind of towards the end of it because... I thought it was a, a very interesting story and just, uh, it, was, it was sad at times, but also just like, you're like, wow, what a, what a great guy this this Andre the Giant was. Andre uh, Rashmushin, or oh, I, I don't know what his last name was, but but it was great. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. And when it comes to, uh, you know, athlete biopics, number one, clear number one. So, all right. I think that does it for this week. Gonna jump on it tomorrow night. Have a few other things that we need to uh, jump into with another mock draft and my top 50 overall players. 
really want to iron out these lists coming out with draft time coming up. But but for now, thank you very much for listening to the Jake Podcast, and I will get back to you guys next week. Thanks again. Oh,